to The Rough Draft. My name is Artemis. And I'm Colin, and it's just the two of us today as Maggie's off working on the print edition of The Orc Review, which is the publishing and producing team of this podcast. And by working on that, we mean she's working off her lifetime sentence as she's been taught Finally, and tried. <laughs> there will be no more doorknobs in our future. Another criminal behind bars. <laughs> dun, dun. Anyway. <laughs> I think Colin just shot coffee out of his nose. Oh, a little bit. I've never been so caffeinated. All right. So, so what are we looking at today, Artemis? So today we are going to talk about character creation. Previously to this podcast, so if you haven't listened to this podcast or these other podcasts I'm going to mention, pause now and go listen to them. They're great. So in an earlier podcast, we had a fellow student named Elena who came on, and she is the vice president of the Dungeons & Dragons role-playing club. And we had a long conversation with her about Dungeons & Dragons and creative writing. And then, in another podcast, in the peer review, Colin talked about uh, world creation. And we had a long conversation about that. So, to continue that trend of thought, I thought it would be interesting for us to talk about character creation. Because, obviously, besides the world that the characters are in, the characters themselves are probably one of the more important parts of the actual story. Yeah, and it's hard to talk about characters without world or whatever, especially when we're talking about what makes a good character a good world. Um, So we did mention characters a little bit in our world creation podcast, but here we're really going to dig down and ask questions like what makes a good character to us, how we go about it in our own writing, and we're going to look at how characters change um, from the book version to the movie version of themselves. Right. Yeah, cool. So starting us off, uh, let's just get into it. Like, what makes a good character? So I guess for me, a good character, so I don't want to say it's human because you can obviously have like an alien character, but I think a good character is somebody who, or something that is very relatable, Mm -hmm. um, something that has like very similar attributes, maybe the same kind of like flaws or... Uh, the same type of, like, phobias, or even, like, very similar in personality. Like, maybe you just happen to be a jerk, so you relate to these really jerky characters. Or maybe you're, like, a a nerd, and, you know, the character is that nerdy character in the book that, you know, finally changes and becomes not a nerd or something. And, And that's something that you can, like, aspire to be, like, something more than the labels that people put on you or something similar to that. Yeah, and I think that sort of human element is important, whether they're human or not. Right. Um, like, even alien characters, there has to be something that we can relate to, that the, like, reader, listener, watcher, audience can relate to, in order for us to feel for, understand, and really fall in love with that character, whether we fall in love with them because we hate them or we love them. Right. Right. A really weird thing that I was just thinking of, because we're talking about aliens, is that when you think about like uh, movies like Alien vs. Predator... I was thinking the same, yep. And you're like, oh, well, are you for the alien or are you for the predator? Like, I'm always for the alien because I think they're cool. Right. But I'm just like, you know, these guys just want to live. And yeah, they're kind of horrible, but like these, the predators are just like hunting them for sport. Yeah, so they're like, literally just breeding them to kill them. Right. You know, this mama alien's just like, hey, like, these are my, my babies, you know, like, don't kill my babies yeah and then the babies are just like we just want to like murder all the humans so like 
That's what they're. That's what they do. You right. know, if anything, blame the predators for this because they're the ones who put the aliens on Earth. Exactly. You know. Um. But yeah. So that's when we're talking <laughs> about relatedness. You know. So um, I can relate to the the will to live that comes from the aliens, <laughs> exactly. as opposed to the want to hunt that comes from the uh, predators. Yeah, and same <laughs> same same here. I, I feel like the predators are like the corporate jerks of, yeah. <laughs> of space. Um, but also, um, and this kind of goes along with that human aspect often, is, like, good characters have flaws. Yes. You can't, it's so often, I think, in novice writers to have these sort of perfect ideal characters that just come in and whoop ass. Right. Um, but that's just, I don't no. care about that. Yeah, it's not real. Even Superman, I have a hard time with, because oh, I'm I like, he's so, like... Super. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, come on, man. Like, your flaw is that you're, like this thing that's not even on this planet like that's not a flaw that's like an inconvenience well yeah i think that they realized that when they were making it and so they had to like build in flaws to him so like then he's like like kryptonite hurts him and now like magic can like hurt him and stuff yeah so like and then the red sun and stuff like that so stuff that we can like replicate now because before he was just like this ultimate being (laughs) that could do whatever and we were just kind of like well you know, and oh my god, so the thing that pisses me off about Superman so much is that why is he the Man of Steel and he always gets his ass kicked? Like, every he time. Really did, right? Like, every single time, it's always like he's fighting this normal-ass person and, like, they're about to kill him every time. And then somehow, miraculously, like, a beam of light comes down from the side, hits him just right, and then he, like, regenerates his powers and then ends up winning. It, it always happens. Not even he, that impressive, honestly. Right. Like, I mean, then you see Batman, who's a human who has no superpowers, and he's just always kicking ass. Just always whooping it. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, Superman, there's a lot of issues with Superman. A- another thing we got into a makes a good character is, like, that attention to detail. Oh, yeah. That, and I, I think, again, this all, most of this, I think, relates to making a character more human. Mm-hmm. Is that, like, attention to detail that we can recognize it, you know? Like, is someone, is a character really a nerdy character if he's not, like, getting picked on or, like, has, like, quiet moments by himself? You know what I mean? Like, you need that to relate to, like, what you actually think that person would experience. Right. And I, I mean, I think that, like, so, like, let's say we're, we're going with this, like, nerd trope or whatever, or geek okay. or whatever. Like, it can't just be that they're picked on. Like, what really does make a nerd? Is it somebody who's, like, really into science fiction and video gaming and stuff? And that they also kind of get teased for it or whatever. I mean, but that kind of blurs lines too because when I was in high school, I was friends with uh, this guy on the football team who was a huge, like, video game player. And he didn't just play, like, Halo or, like, Madden. I mean, he played, like, all kinds of RPGs and, like, stuff that I was into. And he was, like, really into comics and stuff. So yeah. it's it's kind of hard to, like, actually, like, pinpoint, like, what is a nerd now? What is a geek? And what is, like, a jock? Because... Yeah. I think I think as we got out of the '60s, you know, or like that was a big thing, like clicks and stuff. Yeah, that's definitely starting to like or like not so either. many it's of all. those things are like merging together because now like playing video games is cool and liking comics is cool now and blah yeah. blah blah. So. Yeah, um, we we talked before. I can't remember if it was on a podcast or in our own life, mm-hmm. Artemis, about so. What didn't we talk about a version of Spider Man? Where he was like, like Spider Man's supposed to be this nerd, like geeky type character, um, but there was a portrayal of him that like didn't really play that role. Yes, he was more of like a badass, and that's just not. So in the the Spider Man, so in the third, second rather, 
uh, version of the Spider-Man movies. So the first ones had Tobey Maguire, and I thought that they did a really good job because Tobey Maguire's not like, he's not like a supermodel, he's not like built or anything like that, he's just kind of like that guy next door, kind of nerdy character that that really embodies the idea of Peter Parker. He really is just, just like a guy looking. Yeah. Like you look at him and you're like, oh, it's like Like a, a regular guy. dude. Yeah. And and I think that's really who Peter Parker is. And I hate Spider-Man with the passion. Like, I really hate Spider-Man as a character. It's like, oh, like, oh I hate it. But. <laughs> but <laughs> so I, much loathing. <laughs> so much. And the movies don't even get me started. <laughs> but, so I think they did a really good job casting him. But then whatever happened with that particular version of the franchise, and then they stopped it, and they did The Amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield. And Andrew Garfield is, like, a model. I mean, like, literally, he's a model. He's, like, a British model-turned-actor, still models, probably. I don't know if he still acts or not. I don't think he was that great. But but he's, like, an (laughs) actual model. And so it's this, like, model character who's supposed to be playing this not model, like, guy next door, regular person, and it really kind of throws you off when you see it because it's so not the character. He's just, like, this cool guy that, like, in high school you would imagine is, like, super popular, and they try to force him to be, like, this weird nerd guy that he's obviously not. Yeah. So, so even in movies, looking at attention to detail when making a character and casting, like just simply like how good looking is this character supposed to be and how good looking is this actor? Like what is this actor's like physique like, facial structure? Right. You know, you want like a fair representation. I'm sure we're going to get into this later when we talk about movies versus books, um, but Carrie as well. Uh-huh. Um, we, we can dig more into that later. And Hermione. And Hermione. Yeah. Absolutely. Another thing that I, that goes into making a good character um, doesn't really come from the writers at all, but really comes from audience expectations and what the audience wants, right? So right now you see this push for more transgender, more gay, more um, like racially mind- diverse, racially yeah. diverse <coughs> protagonists, right? And so, so for us in this time period, a part of what makes a good character is what the audience wants, right? And, mm-hmm. and satisfying that. Uh, like, personally, for me, I've seen a white protagonist, like, beat up bad guys for the past 23 years. And for me, I'm more interested in a protagonist if they're a woman, if they're African-American, if they're transgender, just because I haven't seen that before. I, I want to I hear about that. I want to see that. You know, right. they bring subtle things that I want to see. Right. And I think we're starting to see a push for that now. Um, you and I were talking earlier about... Uh, comic shows and comic movies uh, like within the Marvel Universe you have like Luke Cage who's a, a black superhero you have Black Lightning who's a black superhero you have um, you know back in the day you had Static Shock who was a black superhero and also in a comic um, and then you know recently as far as like females go you had the um, the Black Widow movie that's supposed to be being made which I think is really cool um, there's another Wonder Woman movie being made, but the first Wonder Mo- Woman movie was very popular, um, and that was pretty great. And then you had um, other movies that maybe weren't so popular, but still had like strong female protagonists. So you have like um, Catwoman, the movie with Halle Berry, which I thought was okay. It wasn't that great, but you know whatever. Um, but then you also had like Elektra, which I thought was really cool because Elektra started off as a part of the Daredevil movie. 
and then broke off and became her own, like, major character at that point. Um, which you really don't see that often. Uh, now you're starting to see it now with, like, the Black Widow movie, because that, that character is so interesting, and you only get small bits and pieces of it, and you really want more. Like, who is the Black Widow? Like, who is Elektra? Why are they in the Avengers? Why are they doing what they're doing? Um, the Dark Phoenix saga is about Jean Grey and the Phoenix, you know, and that's specific to her. And so you're going to find out, like, who is this character and, and why is it, you know, why is this character big enough within this universe to have, like, a saga? Right. And, and you can't answer all these questions in the same way you would with, like, a white middle to upper class protagonist. You know what I mean? It's it's not like it's not like female soccer players or softball players are seen as like running the high school, you know what I mean, being those like right. most popular carried through the halls type of people, right? So in order for this to be realistic, you have to answer these questions differently. And I, that freshness that it brings um, is really important to me and why I'm more interested in those other characters. And there's, you know, political and social stances mm-hmm. happening right now that also back that. I think also a really important aspect of, like, character creation um, that, that makes a really good character is really focusing in on, like, who the character is specifically. So, like, small details, like, is the character religious? Um, how do they practice that? Are right. they like go to church religious or are they like pray by myself religious? Right. Are they Satanists? You know, like, yeah. I mean, cause that really changes how they will react in the world. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's extremely devout is not going to like, you know, go to a strip club. <laughs> yeah. At least not for their right. own fun. Like right. not for like, fun. Yeah. Like they probably shouldn't if they're really devout, but you know yeah. what I mean? Um, but also, you know, not even just like religious, but like, how does this person treat animals? Um, does this person have a best friend? Who is that best friend? How long have they been friends? Because that's also really important too. Like if this person's a loner and they don't have any friends, then their personality should be a lot different than maybe somebody who has like, you know, four or five really close friends that they've been close to ever since they were like in elementary school. Right. And that sort of symmetry is the writers to play with. Um, but a lot of times if it's too unbalanced, it gets really awkward. Like, could you imagine a super charismatic loner, you know, who just had like yeah. has all these friends, but also like doesn't <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, guys, I love you. What's up? Like, hey, what's up? What's up? I got to go off by myself. Yeah. <laughs> you like, stay here. <laughs> like, it's just what? Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting to read, but then after a while, you're just like, what the hell is going on with this? Yeah, if that could be done right, I'd be interested, but it gets really hard to make that relatable when it's so not seen, really. Right. Yeah. All right, so next I kind of wanted to dig into, well, we want to dig into um, sort of our own experiences with character creation and how we develop them and kind of share that with you guys, our listeners. Uh, so Artemis, why don't you start us off? What, what sort of, first of all, blank piece of paper in front of you how do you decide like what kind of character you want to make like how do you like what's that first step to like this is a person in my story oh so i'm or a alien huge, or, yeah. or dog like <laughs> character yeah i am still a huge fan of the character web um i think it's probably the best way to flesh out a character and it's also the best way to make connections between other characters and that character or events in that character. 
So when I start off, I start off with like the character's name in the bubble and the first the front bubble, and then like I start to think about like what do they look like. So like my next thing will come out and be how old are they? So you know, obviously if they're six, they're gonna be their bodies should be a lot different than if they're like twenty six. Oh, yeah. <laughs> scared. Um, More and crazy. then. <laughs> and then you start to ask questions like uh like very specific questions like what color is their hair uh how tall are they how much do they weigh uh do they have any like defining features like maybe they have a scar above their eye or something um and i think those little details are really important too um so like if you say they have a scar above their eye then the next bubble should be why do they have that scar above their eye yeah um because that in itself is a story, and that story can fit into your your overall mythology of this character, um, which is important and might actually become important later on. I think, like, did the scar happen because one of their friends pushed them off of a moving car or something, and they had to get stitches, and now they like don't ever trust that friend anymore, and then of course now you have a friend that you you know circle off in that bubble. Well, this is the friend. Well, who is that friend? How tall are they? How old are they? What is their relationship to this person? Um, and then I always continue like to go back after I flesh out like that character a little bit, but then I go back to the main character. So I'm like, okay, well, now that I have their height and their like this particular scar, now I'm gonna say like, uh, what do they do? So like this character's eighteen, so they're just graduating from high school. Okay, so we know they're still in high school. Do they have like a car? Yes or no? Do they have a job? Yes or no? Um, do they have siblings? Yes or no? And then, like, who are the siblings? Uh, normally, I think the siblings probably would come before, like, the high school thing. T- yeah, um, typically. <laughs> there is some, like, play in this, you know? Right. Like, a main character, I think, is going to be, like, fleshed out a little more. Like, you're not going to start with nothing. You know, right. a lot of times they're already in your head. And um, so, yeah. you know, even if I did start with the high school thing, eventually I will get the family. Because, mm-hmm. you know... It's going to matter. So then, you know, if this person doesn't have a mother and a father, let's say that they're an orphan, then, you know, that changes the story. Mm-hmm. And so I really like the character web because you can start off with that. Then once you have all the details, you can start making, like, a list. So now you can put, like, this is the character, this is the character's details, this is another character, this is the character's details. This is information about the world now. So, like, they're in high school this is the high school's name these are the classes they're taking that adds to the whole uh world creation part that we Absolutely. talked about yeah you, can, you can't really develop one without developing the other right. if you develop them like in the each in their own vacuum it's not gonna click it's, it's gonna be like trying to put like two north magnets together well i think that depends so yeah. like if it's just for like a short story or like something small yes i don't think it'll work But if it's for something large and epic, so like uh, Lord of the Rings or like uh, like the Harry Potter series or something, Mm -hmm. I think that you can come up with this background and like this massive kind of background, and then put a story within Mm -hmm. it because you can do that. So like you have the Harry Potter story that's put it within it, Mm -hmm. but now we have like another story that's put within it too with the um, the Grindelwald or whatever guy that's now they're talking about that happened previous to all the Harry Potter stuff. That's very true. A lot of my personal writing experience is very short. Yeah, stories like like flash fiction type things. So, but I I agree in like a bigger thing, you can create this huge Mm -hmm. world 
or this huge string of characters and kind of work around it. Which makes you, then, you have to really think about it, like, are you going to be, like, a Stephen King kind of writer, where, like, everybody in the Stephen King universe is normally, like, in main, um, so, like, in some instances, they actually, like, overlap and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Or are you going, or, you know, even, like, with the Harry Potter thing or with the Tolkien thing or whatever, mm-hmm. or are you going to be, like, your own kind of whatever, and then every individual story might take place individually wherever, and the characters never interact, so, like, the, each story has its own world. So, so, for me, personally, and again, I think this goes back to, like, the size I deal, like, the volume I deal with when I write fiction, is my characters are, I pay attention to detail, but not as much as Artemis. For me, a lot of times, my characters, instead of maps, I'll draw scenes. Like, I'll, I'll do, like, a quick, like, page-long scene mm-hmm. of just, like, something this character does that's important to the character, right? So if it's this, like, um, let's do... I wrote about Let's do, like, a character who's sort of, like, a loner and, like, loves the outdoors, right? Right. So I would just do a scene with him sort of, like, walking on, like, a woody trail, Right. And just sort of like when I imagine this loner character just got out of high, like his day in high school and he's like taking this trip through the woods before he goes home, kind of relaxing. Like, like what does he look like? You know, um, like he's not wearing flip flops. He's wearing either sneakers or boots because he's like walking in the woods. Um, I imagine him sort of with like a jacket on because I don't know why I, I think I think walks in the woods are a lot more enjoyable in the fall it's just personally what i like so a lot of this is very personal to me and how i come up with detail mm-hmm. it's sort of like when i imagine this person how do i imagine them and a lot of it it explains why a lot of my characters represent people in real life a lot of times yeah um like like a lot of my characters i can think of someone i met in my life and i'm like that's i that's paul over there i remember i went to high school with him right Right. Um, so, so that's for me, a lot of times I kind of take a real person and that ends up becoming like my character ends up becoming a version of them, mm-hmm. which is that plagiarism, like no. stealing another human being and putting it in your story. I don't know. No, I think not that, plagiarism, but I think that every writer puts a bit of them in their story and like the people oh, who absolutely. you yeah. interact with and know are all part of you. Mm-hmm. So like at some point you're going to take from real life because it's hard to come up with characters. Yeah, it really <laughs> like, is. Yeah. But it's easy to be like, huh, well, I know this Elena person and she's pretty interesting. Let's have a character like her in the story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So for me, a lot of it's driven on like personality. Like what does like a dark teenager look like? For me, black hair. They're having black hair or maybe dark brown. Maybe, you know, that's, that's very, that like a stereotype. It's, oh, it, it's totally, it's totally a stereotype. <laughs> like a gothic stereotype. Like if you're sad, you must have black hair. Uh, no, it, it totally is. Um, so there's definitely flaws in my character creation process, but for me, just getting it out and making it realistic. Cause everything from there, once I give them black hair, it's so much easier for me to flesh out like everything else once I have this stereotype. Mm-hmm. And then like if I want to, I could be like I can break those stereotypes. I start out very stereotypical. Um, and then I I can go back and like adjust things if I want. That makes sense. Uh, I'm not that creative when it comes to making characters, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I feel like everybody's character creation thing is gonna be different. Mm-hmm. So the most that you can take away from this is just ways to try to create characters in a different mm-hmm. way 
or, or different ways to think about creating characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, as a writer, you're going to do whatever is the most comfortable for you mm-hmm. because trying to like bend to other people's ideas of mm-hmm. how things should be done never really works out very well. Yeah, like I've tried the character map, like with the bubbles like you were talking about, mm-hmm. and something I always have issues with is like in order for me to craft this character, I need them interacting with something. I, I, I can't just have like bubbles in front of me and be like, hair color, hmm. You know, you know, like I can't like imagine it unless like I write it. Like there has to be like them interacting and doing things. Then I ask myself, what would this character actually like do here? And then I'd be like, they're angsty. They're keeping to themselves, right? And I would write that. And then, I don't know, just that sort of interaction really helps paint a picture in my head. So to to wrap this podcast up, we wanted to dig into the difference between characters in books versus characters in their movie adaptation. And how that plays out, the sort of elements that are involved in making those changes. Is it always bad? Like, so many times you hear conversations where, like, oh, like, I hated Katniss Everdeen in the movies. Or I hated, like, like I like the characters better in the real, like, the Harry Potter books, you know? Right. I feel like that's just, like, a common thing, like, mm-hmm. angsty people who read say. <laughs> um, but, but, like, let's talk about this and, and like, why those, change ha- why those changes happen. We just kind of, we were kind of talking about this beforehand like we normally do. And um, so... Previously in our lives. (laughs) So a lot of times in movies, when they're trying to, like, create a character from a book and then transfer it, or a character is created in a book and they try to transfer it over to a movie, and I guess there's, like, this huge thought process that goes through the movie producer's head, like, is this character sellable, right? Because at the end of the day, you want people to watch your movie... Because you want to make money off of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure there are a lot of, you know, artistic directors and stuff who do it because they love it. But they're also doing it because there's a production company behind them saying, we're giving you $30 million. We expect $100 million to come back. Yeah, yeah. like, I'm sure there's artistic integrity. Right. But, like, we live in a capitalist society. you got to make money. <laughs> right. So, when you have these characters that are what society considers to be undesirable, which is really sad when you think about it. But that normally entails, like, minorities. That normally mm-hmm. entails females. Um, With movies, um, physical attractiveness is, is a big key here. Right. Um, like, so, yeah. So, I mean, you, you get a lot of, like... So Carrie's a really good example. Let's talk Carrie. Uh, uh, Stephen King's novel, Carrie. It was his first novel. And the character, Carrie, in the book is, like, a overweight pimply um i think she has brunette hair black very hair socially or very socially and like phys- physically awkward yeah t- type of character and they they really stress this she's not attractive in the least bit Mm-mm. i think she, right in the beginning with the shower like the gym shower scene yeah, and, is when they describe her and it's not flattering right and as the book goes on you continue to get this picture of this just not flattering human being who really doesn't take care of herself because she's in this horrible situation with her like overly religious mother and all these people at school like treat her so horribly and it's just one of those situations where she just kind of gave up on life and gave up on everything but then you have these adaptations of Carrie and these movies that have come out and the people who play Carrie are actually super uh, I don't want to say super, but like 
very attractive. They're they're very pretty. Um, a lot of times it's it becomes one of those Hollywood situations where like, oh, she's actually super beautiful if she just put some makeup on and wore a dress. She would be prom queen kind of thing. Right, like the, the actress who played Carrie, she is not overweight. No. Sissy, no. Sissy Spacek and um, Chloe, Cleo DiMartins or something, whatever, from the new Carrie movie, definitely not overweight. I mean, very beautiful actresses, um, you know, in their own rights and, you know, given the time period that they both played and everything. Um, you, you would not consider them ugly. If they were going to your school, they'd probably be one of the pretty popular kids. Um, probably, like, a cheerleader or something. Even if they were, like, a loner, they still wouldn't be, like, the the picture of, like, this ugly duckling loner that Carrie is in the book. They would no. just be, like, a very pretty loner girl. Right? Like, even in the prom scene in the movies, like, like Carrie's looking good in the movies. You know what I mean? In the yeah. book, it's just... Carrie with a dress. Yeah, you know what I mean? it's very uncomfortable for everyone around because they're just like, why would she even get dressed up if she's just going to look the same but yeah. in a nice dress? And that's... As opposed to the movies where, you know, she puts makeup on, she puts a dress on, she curls her hair, and she's very pretty. Like, both of them are. Mm-hmm. Both of the female characters who played Carrie, you know, the one recently and the one in the past. Um, and, we, and we see this a lot with other characters, too, um, you have Hermione in Harry Potter, where the character is pr- described as having, like, I don't know, kinky kind of hair, and it's kind of unkempt because she's, like, this big intellectual that she's not worried about how she looks. She's worried about getting to classes and, and you know, doing everything that she needs to do. And then in the first movie, she is very much like that. And maybe in the second movie, too. But as time goes on, she turns into a normal, like, extremely well-put-together, makeup-wearing-looking teenager. I mean, at one point in the movies, I don't even think they were, like, wearing their robes anymore. I just remember seeing her, like, in, like, a pink tracksuit-looking thing for half the movie. (laughs) So I'm just kind of like... And it's Emma Watson. I mean, she's a very pretty woman so mm-hmm. like it, it, it's not following like what this character should be right and and that's really important what the character should be, be because it helps with the plot and the story like you feel so much more sympathy for carrie when like she's this overweight teen that can't even fit in in prom when she's like dressed up in this prom dress right. doing the best she can right it, it adds so much more to right. it right and you lose that in the in the movie. And there are other instances, too, like, uh, we had talked about, um, so this is a little bit different, but um, there are instances where they'll change a character's race randomly, and sometimes people will be, like, outraged by it. Sometimes it, it doesn't, like, sometimes it can be for the better. So mm-hmm. one of the instances that we were talking about was I Am Legend. Mm-hmm. In the book, I Am Legend, the character, the main character, is just a normal, older, white guy who, I think he works in, like, a factory or something. He's not a doctor. He's not anything special. Um, He's just a... Just some dude. Yeah. Who, last guy on Earth, is just really drunk all the time trying to deal with being the last person on Earth. Mm -hmm. And then you have the movie, which had Will Smith in it. And I love Will Smith. And I think he's a great actor. And, you know, he's, like, this kick-ass 
like doctor, but he's also like capturing these vampire things and setting traps and stuff, and he's like not the character. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't. I'm not under. I'm not upset that they changed the character's race because I don't think that that really did anything to harm the movie. What I'm upset about is that they changed the movie to fit this new character, and that changed from the book. Which made the movie, in my opinion, bad. Not horrible, just bad. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I I think Will Smith does good at playing the character he was supposed to play. This sort of like doctor who like lost his family. Yeah. So he's like he's like angry, he has some struggle, right? But that's not what this character is supposed to be. Right. This character's supposed to be this sort of like every man. Sort of everyday guy, right? But personally, going back to it, I don't want to watch a movie that's just 90% a guy alone drinking, getting introspective. Right. You know, like, I, I, I personally, I think that character change was good. I, mm-hmm. I agree with you in that because, yeah, no, this dude just, like, sitting around drinking, like, looking in microscopes. Like, I don't care about that in a movie. Like, they're not cap. That wouldn't be capitalizing on the visual element, which you get from Will Smith's character mm. being a badass doctor. And even if they made the movie like the book, it wouldn't matter if the guy was white or black. Like that's not the issue. Mm-hmm. So even if the movie was Will Smith just drunk all the time, like being the last person, just like in the book, mm-hmm. I think he would have done a great job. Mm-hmm. Just like I think he did a good job in this movie. I think if he didn't read the book. You probably really like the movie. A lot of people did really like the movie. Yeah, it, it was good, like but not compared to the book. No. But all, so that's one of those weird instances. Maybe not weird instances, but one of those instances where it's not necessarily good. But we were also talking about Nick Fury. So in um, the Marvel Universe, when they were recreating their comics, like every year they do like a reboot or a refreshment of their comics, they were remaking the Nick Fury character. Now, Nick Fury has always been like an older white guy. They really love Samuel Jackson and his like portrayal of, of characters over years. So they modeled the new Nick Fury off of Samuel Jackson. And then they started coming out with these movies and they're like, well, it's Samuel Jackson. Let's get yeah, Samuel let's Jackson get to play here. Nick Fury. Yeah. And I think he did an amazing job as Nick Fury. In the older Daredevil movie, you had Wilson Fisk, who's the big white guy who always plays like spider-man's main villain and that was played by michael clark douglas the like really big black guy who played in the green mile Mm -hmm. and i thought he did an amazing job as wilson fisk i thought i mean it was great like (laughs) i i was shocked that they they went that route and then seeing him in that character he just blew me away like i think it was a really good change yeah so i think the key to appropriately changing race is like, does race matter for this character? Mm-hmm. And if so, don't change the race of a character if it's going to misrepresent the race of that character, or if the race of the character is important to its original plotline, which is very rare, right? To begin with, like, like the plot itself has to deal with race mm-hmm. in order for that to be an issue. So, there's sometimes you can, that we can come up with where race. Changing the race has been an issue, or went poorly. In the Harry Potter series, Hermione's race is very, like, ambiguous. The uh, J.K. Rowling never really said, like, Hermione's white or Hermione's black. And the way that she's kind of described with, like, kinky hair and stuff like that, 
could go either way. Like, she could be Spanish, she could be white, she could be black, you know. There's no, like, definitive answer. Mm -hmm. And so, after the books were made and Rowling decided to come out with the play, The Cursed Child or whatever, and they were casting people and they cast the Black Hermione, a lot of people freaked out. Like, they were like, oh, this is horrible, like, Hermione's not black, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, she could be. Yeah, like, how do you know? There was also, like, a really big uproar about uh, this character in the Hunger Games. Oh, Rue. Rue. Yeah. When, in the story, apparently, Rue is white. I don't know, I didn't read the Hunger Games, so I'm not 100% sure, like, how she's described in the story, but she, I don't know if she's described as a white character or not, but a lot of people perceived that character to be white. I know that Mm -hmm. for a fact. Yeah. And for it to be played by a black character was just a big... People were outraged. And yeah. I, I, mean, I don't really understand why. Like, I don't think them being a black character really hurts it or helps it in a way. But I think that really does speak back to like the character creation thing that we were talking about. Being specific about your character. Because when you're super vague like this, with the Hermione aspect... Assumptions get to be made. Right. By the, by the audience in that can be harmful if a huge group of your audience is like, oh, she's white, because, like, that's normal. That's, like, average, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's... So they just made Hermione white because... Well, yeah. that, but that being said, like, Hermione was also white in the movie. True. So I can see why a lot of people are kind of like, well, it's weird now that she's black, because obviously throughout the whole, like, series, she was white. Yeah. Through the series of the movies. I mean, that's still not a reason to be, like, in an uproar, obviously... It's not like Emma Watson was playing Hermione in that thing. They got a new character to play in. But I can I can still under, understand why people would say that. Because a lot of what Rowling did was a lot of her characters had these super backstories that she didn't tell anybody about until after the story was made. Yeah. And so people were coming back and they were saying, like, you know, how come there are no black characters or very few black characters? Or how come there are very few or no LGBT characters or, like, if you say that you're this big for advocate us, yeah. for us, like, why aren't we in this? Why weren't we in Where's the movies representation? And, stuff? Yeah. and then she came back and she goes, well, <laughs> Dumbledore just happened to also be gay. And, and, you know, Hermione could just happen to be black. And could so be. to me, it seems like she was pandering to the audience, like saying, yeah. oh, well, you know. All of a sudden, Dumbledore is gay. Yeah. Even though, like. There was really nothing within any of the stories that would make you think that. Right, and she had enough control in the movies as well to, like, show that. Right, or to say, like, you know, I I would really prefer if this character was black, or if there were more black characters. Yeah. I mean, one of the big things about the movies was the books were still being written as the movies were going on. Mm-hmm. So at some point, people were like, well, why aren't there any black people in these movies? And she's still writing books, so how come in the later books there wasn't more representation for blacks or Asians or anything, really. like Right, yeah. Then there is, like, I think, marketing decisions that she had to make and that she made um, in responding to that. True. Um, Again, it was a children's novel, so a lot of that has to be, like, you know, she probably couldn't come right out and be like, oh, Gandalf had an orgy with six other male wizards. (laughs) 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 Because that's probably something that happened, but not something to talk about. Yeah. Um, not that, like... Not that Gandalf has orgies or anything, but, yeah. you know, it may, I don't or know. The, or that, like, gay men, like, are just prone to orgies. I, I don't know his life. Uh, yeah, I don't know what Gandalf was up to. Well, in one of her things, in one of her Twitter things, when they were talking about the, the guys in the, um, the dormitories, she said that they, 
because it was just I, I can't remember if she, somebody said this. I think it was her that that the guys mess around with each other in the dormitories. Uh, is this Rowling or I think so. I could have sworn she did. I mean, because a lot of times, if you're in like an all boys school or something like that happens, because like you only have guys from like elementary up until like you leave. Yeah, just look at the Spartans, and you know you learn enough about how that works. Yeah. So. (laughs) (laughs) So, but it's something that like she wouldn't put in the book to talk about because that's not really appropriate for kids, Kids, I guess. But on Twitter, you know, like it's appropriate for whoever. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe she could have put in, like, a wholesome gay relationship for kids. Like, you know True. what I mean? Like, and even I, if I think she, there is ways she could have went about it. Even if she didn't, like, put in a wholesome gay relationship, she could have hinted or even just dropped it. Like, Gandalf had a husband once and then just left it at that. Like, or something. Even or if... Or Dumbledore, he, right? Yeah, yeah Gandalf. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, somehow we got Gandalf. And I was like, what? <laughs> Gandalf is married to Dumbledore. Um, <laughs> Honestly, power couple. Yeah, seriously. You shall not pass until you do the dishes. <laughs> but <Wow>. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, but even if it wasn't like the Gandalf and the gay thing, like, how about just have more black students at Hogwarts? Because obviously there are black people in London. Yeah. And like the surrounding areas that would take the students. More Asians. I mean. That's true. Asians get like no representation. I feel like unless it's like anime, I don't see Asians. In right, any- um, and that's a big thing too. Like you have like the uh, Ghost in the Shell movie with Scarlett Johansson that a lot of people were like up in arms about because it's based on an anime, and so they all assume that the major, the main character is like an Asian woman or an mm-hmm. Asian person. I guess she's not technically a woman, um, and then it's being played by Scarlett Johansson, and not that Scarlett Johansson was playing like. An Asian, she wasn't doing like yellow face or anything. She was just playing this robotic character, and people just really hated it. So, which that's just not a fair assumption. Like I know an anime that takes place in England, but I think that moving forward, like we're definitely seeing a lot more diversity. We're seeing a lot more uh, black people. I don't say black people. I was like, you should always go to black people first because, like, I don't know why, but but I don't want to say black people. I want to say diversity. So like, it's not just black people. You see like Asians and you see gays and transgenders and, and lesbians and and black people and black people <laughs> and black people galore. <laughs> <laughs> They're here now, uh, but no. So like you you see them and you see shows it's like Blackish, which uh, is about like a black family, and then you see shows like Fresh Off the Boat, which is about like an Asian family, and then Netflix has a show that's specifically about like a Cuban family. But not only that, like, you have shows like Transgendered, which is, I thought was a really great show that really spoke to, like, the transgender community. You also have shows like Atypical, which I, I think... Or that's so, the super, the, the boy who's, like, a genius with autism, Atypical. Yeah, but he's not a, a genius. He's just no? uh, trying to get through life with his autism. Oh, okay. um, but then you have The Good Doctor, which is a show about a, a guy who's autistic who's trying to become a doctor. There's also Speechless, which is, I think the character has cystic fibrosis, but I'm not quite sure. I think he's in a wheelchair and he can't speak. Um, That's the worst. I know, right? Well, he has like somebody that has to like go around with him. Yeah. And so he has like this laser pointer and this like word bank that he can like point to so somebody can like speak for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't imagine how, I don't say how horrible that is, but like. So different, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what? Like, I, th- I think horrible is not a bad way to put it. 
Right, because, I mean... You're so restricted, restrained. Yeah. But it also, I think it's a really good show because it shows that, like, that... So a lot of it, of that show, is a lot of people telling the main character, like, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. And you have his family behind him saying, you know what, don't say that to my son or brother or whoever. He's just as capable as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so even though he does obviously need help, he still has the ability to do a lot of normal things. Right. I don't say normal things because that sounds like what's normal, but he has the ability to do stuff that everybody can do. Like he wants to be a filmmaker, and so he goes through and with like the help of other students and stuff, records all of these like really awesome films within his school and stuff. He's going off to college on his own now, which he didn't think he would be able to do because of his disability. He thought he'd always have to be at home and like with his parents, they could like take care of him and watch him. But now he's like literally graduating high school and moving on, which I think is a really interesting concept too when you think about it. Like I have a, he's technically my uncle. Uh, my grandmother adopted him, okay. but he's autistic too. Uh, not too, like, as well. Yes, he's autistic as well. And he's functioning, but I guess he's highly functioning. He can, like, go to college and stuff, but he's not functioning enough that he can, like, live on his own and, like, get a job on his own. Like, finances, I'm sure, get difficult, yeah. So, for the longest time, my grandmother was taking care of him. And he was going to college and everything, and he's actually about to graduate soon, which I'm really proud of. For him, because that's, you know, a big thing. And he also wanted to do things with film, too. And he just recently moved into, I guess it's, I don't know what it's called, like a group home or something, mm-hmm. where, like, people that are similar to him all live together um, of different ages and whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's somebody that takes care of them, but they're also, like, pretty independent as well. Yeah. Like, they can still, like, get a job if they want, or they can still, like, go to college and stuff, but there's somebody who, like, looks after them. And it's nice to see this representation for like him on TV because I don't get to see him that often, but I now understand like some of the stuff that he has to go through on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's what's been missing a lot, a lot in TV and movies and books for the longest time. Like people really don't see like how difficult it is for, for blacks or for Asians or for gays or transgenders or yeah. people with disabilities or whatever. Uh, even people with like mental health problems. It's true. And all that goes into character creation. Good character has like, all of those elements. All too. that. All of that will make you a good character. Yeah. And that's just one character. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's hope your book doesn't have too many people talking. Yeah. I'm going to write like a one character story <laughs> for everything I write from now on. All right. Cool. Um, so that will conclude our episode on character creation. Yes. I'm Colin. And I'm Artemis. And this has been The Rough Draft. Has it? Has it been? I mean, it still is, but it will have been once the music starts. Is it? it, it just it, don't it, start the music. Just end it now? No, I mean, just keep going. I don't know. I, f- I feel like the music is what really ties this all together. What if Maggie just ran in here and was like, ah! Starts punching us. Turn arms all around! Oh, jeez. Oh, man. I miss Maggie. Honestly. This yeah. is our first podcast without her, and I feel like we're already lacking. Yeah. We're missing something. We are. We'll have to get her to come in. In the peer review. You know what? We could have her on to talk about, like, because this is her first time, I believe, working on the print edition. So we could just be like, yo, like, what goes into, like, publishing Yeah, something? that's right. Like, that's what, like what is your process for, like, creating all this? 
Yeah, let's do that for the next uh, peer review. I'll do that for my peer review. Honestly, I think it's a pretty dope idea. Let's get, uh, maybe we can get Seven in here also. Ooh, both of them. Yeah, yeah just like, have them, like, let loose on the, on the microphone and let us know. Oh, that's such a great idea. Yeah, because we already saw the cover that Seven has planned. It's I don't think it's, like, for sure the one she's going with. Um, but we saw the cover, Artemis, I don't know how you feel about it. It has sunflowers on it. Oh, uh, sunflowers. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I don't think we can say that, because then the person who submitted it knows if they listen to us. Mm, yeah, we're going to have to get rid of that. Yeah, that's for real. Well, all we said was there were sunflowers on it. True. And, I mean, it's not set in stone if that's the one we're going with yet. Yeah, what, you think you're, uh, you're the only person who can draw sunflowers? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. No, but some of those are really cool, like... <laughs> There is uh, one image where... Our visual art is awesome. Yeah, one of the visual arts that we were thinking, like, as just messing around and putting it on the cover, and it made it look like we were a cult. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Oh, was great. man. Um, Which, I mean, I voted for that. I'm voting for that one, honestly. <laughs> I feel like the biggest issue facing the York Review is that we're not a cult. You know? True. You want, you want to get members. That's how you get members. Right. You know? Kool-Aid. Eternal life. Yeah, actually. <laughs> Alright, so that was our... That was the rough draft for this week. Mm-hmm. And we will be back in another two weeks or something to finish it off. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye out for the radio play, which we finally got our technical issues fixed. Oh, thank. Yes. Thank whoever. And we will be producing that, or finish producing that and publishing it as soon as possible. In two shakes of the lamb's tail. Yes. Full fiction. Then we're going to eat that lamb. Yes, please. Yes. Anyway, that's the podcast. That's us. We're leaving. Bye. Bye. Bye.